Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Today, again, I have another Singularity University member, and I love interviewing all these guys and gals because each of them is into all kinds of amazing stuff. Today, I have Jody Medich, and we're going to be talking about uh, virtual reality and augmented reality applications. Jody, how are you doing? Great. Thanks, Rich. How are you? Good. Yeah, I appreciate you coming. Um, so if you would, just let people know what um, you do for Singularity University and then your projects um, that you're doing on your own. Sure. So um, at Singularity University, I am the director of design for the lab, and I also am one of the AR VR faculty. So I get to, between the two of those, I get to travel all over the world and uh, talk about augmented reality and virtual reality and also uh, incubate grand ideas, big ideas that are geared to solve 13 of the world's biggest uh, challenges and change the lives of at least a billion people within 10 years' time. So, you know, pretty uh, pretty standard stuff there <laughs> for my day job. <laughs> In addition to that, I, um, I am a uh, contributing artist for Five Ton Crane Art Collective, as well as a practicing studio artist. And I build ro- robots and rockets and uh, sew all of my own clothes in my spare time. Wow. Yeah. A quick question. What is the Five Ton Crane art project? What do you do there? Yeah, so Five Ton Crane is a collective of artists. There's about, I don't know, somewhere between 60 and 100 of us. And we make really big mental, metal sculptures, um, such as the Raygun Gothic rocket ship. It's a big 40-foot-tall uh, 40, 40 rocket made out of aluminum and steel. Or the oh. Steampunk Treehouse, which is a big metal treehouse. Uh, about three stories high. It lives in Delaware right now. And also we do um, all kinds of interesting art projects um, from painting to building all over the place. Do you do them uh, for various communities? Do you do them in one spot? How do you decide where to do them? Um, Well, it's a collective. So individual members It can be anything. So an individual member will come to the group and say, hey, I want to do this group project. And then people will work on it. Um, So um, some of them are big commissions. Um, A few of them have been uh, Burning Man projects. Uh, A couple of them that have been private commissions. Um, And then we also did a few projects for UC Berkeley, for example. But the... The primary location for the art being built is in West Oakland. Okay. Well, very good. And then in the um, area of VR and AR, what kind of projects are you uh, working on, focusing on? So I have a few different projects right now. I have a couple of my own projects, one of which is a um, memory tool uh, for augmented reality. And then uh, I'm working on a future of learning augmented reality plus artificial intelligence platform for Airbus, and a future of collaboration project with Steelcase around augmented reality. So uh, let's see what else. Oh, and then we're also, I'm also working on a um, project 
to help combine quantitative data and qualitative data through virtual reality. So people can see both like big data and then drill down to individuals that, you know, the number represents a human. Um, so then we can show the, the actual experience of that human through 360 video or other VR experiences. So kind of a gamut of different types of projects. Well, let's, let's go into some details. What are the, um, what's the project that most interests you that you think is the neatest? Let's talk about that in detail. Oh, that is really difficult because they're all pretty awesome. Um, I think the one that we just, comp- you know, that we're just kind of coming to the end to and uh, I think is an interesting cross-section is this Airbus platform. It's, like I said, it's the future of learning. And so uh, it's a combination of um, the premises that Airbus believes that in the next two to five years, they're going to start using the HoloLens. Um, as a primary computing platform. And if that's the case, then you have something strapped to your face that can both, uh, see everything that you're seeing and also augment everything that you're seeing. Wouldn't it be great if we change the way that people learn um, so that rather than having a prescribed class that you have to go to and sit in on, um, instead there's there you tell the system what you would like to learn about um, and the system can look for opportunities to insert that into your everyday activities. So, um, for example, let's say that you're a electrical engineer and you're working on creating a new circuit. Um, wouldn't it be great if the system could say, hey, you know, your colleague on the other side of the world is also working on a similar circuit. Uh, let's put you guys in contact so that you can collaborate in real time. Or you know, we have this circuit design um, from uh, a decade ago. Let me bring that person here, you know, that that person as a hologram here to you to explain to you how it works um, and then perhaps overlay that onto what you're working. So rather than being something that um, only happens at specific times and is prescribed to you, what if you had an opportunity to learn through your own quest for knowledge and the system could support and recognize that. Yeah, that's really interesting because right now I'm sure in most people's lives, they're getting notifications from Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And, you know, they may think it's helpful, but it's not really knowledge. It's just interruptions. It'd be interesting if you could schedule things you want to learn and you have a service that goes out and looks for um, information to add to your knowledge base on a given topic. And it pushes that to you. That would be much better time spent. Yeah. I think uh, what you're saying about interruption costs is actually really key to everything having to do with augmented reality and and really the future of computing. Um, Right now, our devices are an interruption. And and if you look at uh, the way people use technology, we train humans to kind of understand and push all the right buttons because we have this paradigm in computing where the human demands and the computer responds. And we set that up uh, very early on in the human-machine interface because um, computers, they, they're they really smart at what they do, but they, they don't understand context and, and humans. And as we move into these new computing devices, right, what we're seeing is that people spend a lot of time head down. We're, we're essentially already cybernetic people. We're, we already are using technology to augment our cognition, augment our abilities, et cetera. 
But the way that it works right now is that you have to look at the screen that tells you every single thing that it could possibly do. And then you have to take on the burden of filtering out all the things you don't want and pushing the buttons in the right order to get it to do what you want. And that interruption, that that interruption can cost you anywhere from three seconds to 30 minutes um, in your task. So we don't even recognize how much of a mental burden we're putting on ourselves with our current HMI. And my mission in life is to try to remove that interruption cost. So that rather than teaching humans how to operate a device, we actually teach computers how to respond, augment, and adapt to humans so that um, the human is the one at the center and, and the computer is, is anticipating. So instead of making supercomputers, we make superhumans. And once we get that cognitive burden out of the way of interacting with our devices, I actually believe that we can really unlock. Uh, a lot of human potential that we are currently hampering with this kind of uh, interface cost, this this like anchor around our, our ankles that are, is keeping us back from really um, leveraging the power of technology in a uniquely human way. So what does that look like? Um, what would be an ideal day and what would happen? What are a few events that would happen in that day with your model of computing? Yeah, sure. So you know, for example, if we, we just looking at my commute to work in the morning, right? I wake up, um, I pick up my computer instantly to get an update on what's happening on the day. And I have to navigate to my email, my Facebook, whatever I'm looking at, um, which adds about, you know, five minutes of navigation. Okay. And then I, you know, go about my morning routine, getting a shower and eating and all these things. Um just to get in my car and then try to find out what the traffic's like. And so, that you know, you don't realize how much that adds up. All these little micro interactions with your devices is adding a lot of time to your schedule. So let's say instead of me having to pick up my devices and do all these things, the, the computers acknowledge, oh, she's awake. Her normal routine is that she checks her email first thing in the morning. So when I pick up my device, my email's there instead of me having to navigate to it, quickly get up to speed. Um, when I get in the car, it says, oh, you know what? Every time, every morning at this time, she's usually driving to work. So here's the traffic update. And um, well, pretty soon I won't actually have to drive. So it really won't matter too much about the, the route I pick. The car will. Right. Um, so, you know, just little ways that it will start to get out of our way. Uh, so instead of focusing on, you know, navigating through stuff, I can actually focus on the content or on the the activities that I'm trying to accomplish. But let's take this one step further. Let's say that I'm a diabetic and um, I'm a type two diabetic, which means that life, healthy lifestyle changes would actually greatly impact my health uh, as opposed to having to take medication, which will be the result of not making those lifestyle changes. The problem is that I have evolved over my 40 plus years to, um, to the lifestyle that I have now. So chances are, I don't even realize the things that I'm doing that are causing me to develop this type 2 diabetes. You know, when, when somebody asks me, hey, do you eat well? I, I'm going to say yes, because I, I feel like I eat well. But in fact, yeah. there's little micro choices that I could make throughout my day that would change things. So if I have an augmented reality um, and an AI, it can help me to realize, you know what, if I, you know, could say, hey, park your car here, it's going to take you 10 minutes to walk. Um, to the place, which adds a little 
healthy exercise or when I'm sitting down to eat and I look at my choices, it could make it very clear that the, which is the healthiest, which one is the most required for my insulin um, status right now, make that easier to choose. So by getting the interface out of the way, um, I no longer have to be um, aware enough to say, okay, I need to check my computer right now to see if this is a good thing to eat. But instead it can start to um, help me achieve my goals and focus on, you know, having a conversation with my friends as I'm eating, as opposed to having to check out to check my phone to see if it's okay for me to eat this thing. Right? So it starts to kind of take, it takes away the interruption between me and the real world and makes mm. it more likely that I have, um, uh, that I achieve my goals without having to do all the cognitive work uh, to operate the devices to help me to achieve my goals. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you mean. Instead of right now, it's it's on the person to go and fetch and find and and look, and you want to turn it around so that you can set up situations where the computer will push notifications to you, remind you, maybe nag you, maybe not, but you know, it's like your um, I guess it's like your personal assistant instead of you know you having to go do stuff. It, it's there, you know, ma'am, don't exactly. forget this or sir, you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but even more so, like, um, I think notifications even are that interruption, right? You know, if you imagine if you're wearing an augmented reality glass, I don't know about you, but I get so many stupid notifications on my phone and my computer of things that I didn't even realize that I had somehow opted into getting notifications from. Mm -hmm. Um, And those create an interruption in my world, too. So I think really what I'm getting at is if the technology um, is exactly that, it's your, like, digital twin, if you have a digital twin in the technology that's actively working for your benefit and taking on all that burden of dealing with which notifications, et cetera. And, um, and instead it's just like this cyber gnome that's putting things in the exact right position for you when you need them, when you reach for them, it's there um, without you even having to be, um, I don't know, focused on it being there. Like for example, let's say that I, I am notorious for losing my keys. But if my digital gnome could always like realize I'm looking for my keys and then point out where they are for me without me having to like really think about it, suddenly I'm saving tons of time in my day um, for tasks that even in the real world would would be very stressful <laughs> in my brain. So is that going to be one application that does that or multiple? I mean, will each kind of um, what what form will this take? Do you think where it's optimal? Will one manager do it or it's going to be, um, I don't know. I mean, how is it going to manifest? Right. So I think um, when it comes to these digital agents, we're going to have, like right now, I'm I'm my my own digital agent. I'm a human and I'm, I'm responsible for coordinating all the different AIs or machine learning um, and notifications and systems that I have running. But I think, you know, if you can imagine um, when you look at like Siri or Alexa or um, you know, Google, Google Voice, all of these things are working on your behalf for to coordinate some technology in the back end. Um, they're completely disjointed right now. So if we can imagine that my digital assistant can be coordinating all those things, maybe I have an Uber AI uh, that works on my behalf for all the different ones. Because if you, if you look at all the different technologies that are, that are being developed, they all seem to want to have their own personal AI from my car wanting to have an AI in it to, you know, my home wanting an AI in it to my phone wanting an AI in it. Um, so it'd be great if these 
these uh, AIs could get together in some way and, and simplify my life. Um, and I don't think that this is uh, different applications that I'm going to load onto my system, but instead a different way of thinking about human-machine interface. Um, right now, everything is completely disjointed because the technology has no understanding of context. And uh, like I said, the paradigm is that the human demands and the computer responds. So if we, we change that, that concept of HMI and we put it on that the human is the center and all of the rest right. is responding and ad adapting to that human, suddenly um, all of that burden should go off of my shoulders and onto the computer's shoulders. So the computer should be coordinating all that stuff and I should have one point of contact that I can manage all of that too. Sure, I can have individual conversations with all the individual AIs if I choose, but that I don't have to, right? So we're trying to take the burden off the human as much as possible without it going into that scary realm where we become manipulated by our devices. Um, so it's, Okay, makes sense. It's an evolution that has to happen in computing. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Um, maybe one other project that you're working on with you know, AR, VR that uh, you think is really cool or unusual or helpful. Hmm. Yeah, so now we get into tricky areas where I can't always disclose everything that I'm working on, but I can tell you that, um, um, you know, a lot of that work is around this premise. A lot of my AR work is around this premise of getting rid of interface um, and instead teaching systems to respond to humans. So, um, you know, looking at different ways that we can use these new computing platforms to do that. And um, one of the things that I really like to focus on is cognitive ergonomics. So you've probably heard about ergonomics when it comes to things like furniture or tools, right? Like ergonomics helps it fit the human better, make it more comfortable and efficient for the human. So with these technologies, it's finally an opportunity to do cognitive ergonomics. So let's think about right now when it comes to our computers, really what happens in there is that we have a flat screen um, with like a magical piece of paper. There's really no Z-depth. Um, there's no, you don't get any sort of spatial cognition about where that object is in relationship to other objects. And that's kind yeah. of a problem. Uh, in the real world, humans use space all the time for all kinds of things like... Um, remembering, like, for example, I told you I'm horrible with my keys. I have a key box. If I put my keys in there, I remember where it is. It's called spatial memory. Um, and spatial memory is free. Um, and by that, I mean to say that humans are constantly creating a spatial map of their world and their surroundings. Um, it happens in the back of your mind, and you're not even aware that you're doing it. And it enables us to do all kinds of things, from read books to... Um, find your keys to, um, you know, if, you, if you're working on a presentation, a lot of people will print it out and put it up on the wall to see it at scale. These are all different ways that we use space as humans. So um, what we can do now because of augmented reality and virtual reality is now we have space and we can start to use space for computing in the same way that we use it in the real world with a little magical technology extra. Right. So um, two of the tools that I'm working on, the one for um, Steelcase around uh, workspaces and augmented reality, as well as the, the memory tool, they're using, they're capitalizing on this idea of spatial memory and how we can use augmented reality 
to um, make that a very important part of computing. So that's where those projects lie. Um, and I can think about how much more I can tell you about that. But I think that's, does okay. that makes sense. Go ahead. As, um, I'm saying, like, does that make sense? You know, the idea that you can, like, right now, instead of having a flat piece of paper on our monitor, through augmented reality, we can have z-depth right so i can have a stack of papers or i can have um my bookcase um and then um the book in front of me and i can start to create these kind of relationships um and those can be leveraged to do really magical things that are currently not possible in computing so you have um like a very very simple example like so let's let's take a book uh right now we can read it on our phone using Kindle, we could page through it and all that. But mm-hmm. do you want to create the experience of um, opening a book and, uh, you know, just make it closer to how it actually is, being able to turn the pages, being able to rotate the book, um, see it more in 3D versus 2D? Is that what you're saying? Um, a little bit. Uh, so what I'm saying is, okay, so I bet right now you could picture your bedroom. And if I asked you to to picture yourself sitting in your bed, you could imagine where the door is in relationship to where you are, right? Right. Um, it's pretty, just a way that you think about your space. You don't even have to work too hard to remember that, right? Yeah. So let's say that you're, that you're working on a project um, in your office at work and you have your work spread out with, around you in a certain way that's helping you with your, your task flow. Um, and now I ask you to go home um, and pick up that work again. What's going to happen is that you're going to be a little disoriented and you're going to take a little while to get back into your task flow. But if when you go home, you can just open your whole office up, suddenly you're right back to flow. You you have all your things set out the way that you needed them set out and you just get back to working. Um, That's right. Another way to think about it is like, let's say... I don't know about you, but I, I have I travel a lot for my job. And um, one thing that's happened to me a lot is that I'll go to a city that I haven't been to in you know like a decade or something. And I'll turn a corner and I'll suddenly realize I've been in that spot before um, and that I know there's a really good restaurant just around the corner here. Right. So if you're trying to access a memory of, say, uh your wedding or your child's first birthday party. Um, and rather than just looking at the photograph, you could actually be transported to that time and to that location. Suddenly you're not only going to have the recorded memory, but also all the other memories that you have just from being in that space. Like other memories will start to flood back. So huh. um, I'm trying to be abstract cool. while also kind of pointing out the way that spatial memory can help you. Well, that's really interesting, I guess, for a couple of reasons. One is that, yeah, it'll make the memory a lot more rich. Yeah. But it would be interesting if you could add to the memory. If, there's, if you want to go back to a certain place and add to it. If you exactly. haven't looked in one direction while yeah. you're in this place or if you're in your office and you realize, oh, you know, there's a book on the shelf that I need to look at that would help with what I'm working on. You can do it. So it'd be really yeah. cool to be able to add to stuff you want to add to. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that what you're talking about, about revisiting it, like, um, you know, I do a lot of research and I'll read a paper and I'll highlight all these incredible things that I'm finding the first on the first read. 
And then I'll work on another project and I'll be like, oh, that one paper, that seems like it would be relevant. So I pick up that paper again. And now the things I've highlighted seem very obvious to me because I've learned them. And then on second read, I start to notice things in between those highlights that are actually really, really important, but I just didn't have the knowledge base to understand them at the time. So let's say that you can apply that same thing to a memory, right? Like when I was there, I was 10 years old and I saw one view of the world. But now as, you know, a woman in my 40s, I revisit that. And suddenly I see a whole nother dynamic of things happening that I missed the first time around because I was just too young to understand, right? By being able to get back into that space and time, suddenly you unlock all kinds of new opportunities for discovery and understanding that weren't there before. Um, and you can start to add on to them. Like, let's say that there's a work session, you're, you're brainstorming with your colleagues and um, you're putting up ideas on the board and then um, you have to stop for some reason. And now what we do is we take pictures um, and we go back and we try to look at the pictures, to try to remember the memories. But let's say that I could just jump right back there and start brainstorming on top of what the group did. Um, I'm going to have a much more beneficial work session than if I have to somehow manufacture that mental space in my own brain. So. That's really interesting. Uh, it, I guess that would be really helpful. It would it would really change how um, people perceive memories. It would be really strange. I wonder if it would, uh, I don't know, mess you up mentally. Oh, <laughs> be yeah. able to revisit stuff from long ago and, and get more out of it. I mean, it's, it seems like it would be a great thing. I know. Like strange, I, I, th- I, I love the concept. Yeah, it's it's a different way of thinking about these things because we don't have any tool like that now. But if you think about it, you know, when you when I think back on my memories as an adult that I had as a child, um, I often have these like, oh, my God, I can't believe. How did I think that at the time? Like, you know, even as just remembering in my own brain, I have different takes on my memories as an adult than I did as a child. So I think. I don't know if it'll mess us up, but it will definitely create a new, new experience for us for sure. It'll be interesting. Yeah, well, I really like the concepts that you're you're thinking about. Um, they're really useful, and I, I don't know. I think almost nobody actually thinks about them. So I think that the work that you're, um, <laughs> the stuff you're working on, is going to manifest in very helpful tools. So. I hope so. I hope so. Part of the challenge of yeah. working on really crazy avant-garde technology, um, which is pretty much been my career is working on that really cutting edge of technology is that uh, a lot of times people, like you're saying, they're not thinking about them because they're not, um, they're not focused on those things for their, their, for what they're doing. Um, And sometimes it can be really difficult (laughs) to help people to see that. So um, uh, at SU, we use a lot of sci-fi, sci-fi writing and sci-fi storytelling in order to help people to kind of start to think about the world when these technologies will be mature, because you know a lot of, we focus mostly on exponential technologies, technologies that are currently not performing up to where they're going to be in the next five, ten years. Um, and when groups try to work on those things, um, they try to apply today's problems and the understanding of those technologies to um, what they think is going to happen in five or ten years. So we use sci-fi to help them kind of create a picture of what the world will be like once these technologies are mature, and then design for that future as opposed to trying to use today's yeah so is any of the stuff you're working on are we going to see it in any commercial applications in the very near future or is it um several years away uh well the airbus uh platform they've actually created a prototype of the idea it's not as fully realized as it will be in the next 
few years, but it gives a good taste of what that um, future of learning platform could be like. Um, so that's going to be released in the next year to the public. So you'll be able to see that. Um, the steel casework hopefully will be something within, we have kind of two trajectories. Um, the the um, tool that I told you about um, that we're working on with the the, N, the the NGO, the nonprofit, around trying to create the understanding between quantitative and qualitative data, that's coming out in the next few months. So, so hopefully a lot of these things will start coming now and um, they all have roadmaps of where they're going to go in the next five or 10 years. So um, well, well, very good. you'll start to see those. Yeah. I think we have uh, at least 10 more hours of things to talk about, but <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So for this interview, I think that's um, that's a great taste of what you're working on. So, how can listeners um, learn more, go and fetch more information about what you're doing? We'd love to have it just pushed to them. But um, you know, where can they go to get <laughs> learn more and uh, find out more about what you're doing? Sure. So, um, I have a website, uh, jodymedich.com, and um, I am going to start publishing some articles on the Singularity Hub in the very next few months. So keep an eye out there as well. And cool. uh, yeah, watch this space. Well, very good. <laughs> Jody, thank you for your time. Like I said, it's uh, really interesting to talk to any faculty member and you're maybe you're one of the more interesting ones. I'm not sure, but we've got a lot of great oh. stuff to talk about in the future. So. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. It was really fun to talk to you. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.